That was fun. I couldn't help it. I was like, okay, we need more clapping going on here. I need to help. Yeah, I'm a clapper. I can, I can, I can hug and I can clap. That's about my skill level ends right about there. I, well, okay, we'll find out. <laughs> All right, so clay can be molded. It can be reshaped. Right? It can be changed. It can be manipulated. It's pliable, right? Which means it's easily influenced, right? Pliable, easily influenced. So I can take this piece of clay, and it may look like a rock. It's not, it's clay. And it can be easily, easily manipulated, easily influenced. A rock, on the other hand, is totally different. If, uh, if I took the clay, you know, with clay, you watch people work on clay and they can, they can pound it, they can hit it right, and they can shape it, they can pound it. You take a rock, though, the same, a rock, and you try to do the same thing, I can squeeze it, and, and if I start to pound on it with my fist, the only thing that's going to be reshaped is my fist, right? Totally different. Clay, which can be easily manipulated, easily changed, easily influenced. I love that word pliable. Easily influenced. It's pliable. So I want you to keep that in mind as we continue in this series. We're in a series called Uncompromising. It's a study in the book of Daniel. And we got these study guides outside in Daniel. They're for individual study or you can do them in a life group or in a Bible study. There's, uh, I think there's about 15 or so left of these study guides. Um, I think there are about eight bucks out there. If you can't afford one, just let us know. Um, but they're, they're right outside. If you still want one and you go out there and they're gone, we'll just order more. We'll have them here next week. It doesn't go directly along with the sermons, which is good. All right. It's, it's just like a, it's a 12 or 13 week series, but it's a great way to kind of follow along, if you will, and learn some more during the week through your life groups or just an individual study. But we're in this study called uncompromising. All right. This is uncompromising. This, on the other hand, is not. It can be easily influenced. It can be easily manipulated. Last week, we, we started talking about Daniel and Daniel's, Daniel's life. And we said that Daniel lived approximately 600 years before Jesus. Okay, so the book, the, basically the book of Daniel covers the time period from about 605 B.C. to 530 B.C., and we said that, you know, as the story unfolds, Daniel is taken captive with his friends. They're taken from Jerusalem. They're taken to Babylon. So they're taken captive, much like Joseph was taken captive. But this time, instead of being taken to Egypt, Joseph, Joseph serves under a line of Babylonian and, and, and Persian rulers. Joseph at this time is about 15 or 16 years old. When he and his friends are taken, they're about 15 years old. And their lives are completely changed. Like Joseph, though, once he's taken there, Daniel is given authority to rule over an entire province, province of, of Babylon. So there Daniel finds himself. They're taken in captivity. They're taken from their homeland in Jerusalem. They're taken from all that they know. And they're taken to Babylon. And now, now their faith is going to be stretched. 
Now their faith is going to be tested. Now they have to serve a godless king and face intense cultural changes. Think about this. They go from Jerusalem, they're teenagers, all they've ever known. And now they're taken to a new land. They're going to face intense cultural changes. And we said last week that just like what some of what we go through in our own culture over the last 25 years, if you've been along, if you've been alive for as long as I've been alive, you've seen some massive cultural changes in this world, in our country and around the world in the last 25 years. And so Daniel and his friends are going to go through this intense Cultural change. We laid out the main characters. We said in, the, in one corner you have King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the king of Babylon, right? Now, in the Bible, Babylon is always, always, it always symbolizes evil and opposition to God's people, God's purposes, God's worldview, if you will. In the other corner, you have Daniel and his friends. They represent a biblical worldview, if you will, a godly worldview in their case, a godly worldview. These are people who strive with all of their hearts to obey God in whatever circumstances they find themselves in. Doesn't matter where they find themselves, they are going to try to obey God's law regardless of their circumstances. And over it all, like we've been saying for the last, you know, these last two series especially, you have the sovereign hand of God. So God's hand is over it all. He was with, remember we talked about Joseph. He was with Joseph, right? He was with Moses. He was, he was with Caleb. He was with Joshua. He's with Daniel now. Now he's with Daniel and his friends. God's sovereign hand is over all of it. Like we said last week, the key to the next chapter, if you will, in our story. I love, I, I'm so excited every Sunday to get up because it's really telling a story. I keep telling you stories. And so many people said, you know, I've, I've heard about uh, Joseph and I read it 25 years ago, but I really hadn't read it since then. Or I've never really, I'm new to the faith and I really haven't heard any of these stories. And so we talked about Joseph. Now we're in the book of Daniel. It's the reason, one of the reasons I picked the book of Daniel was the, incre- the incredible I- enthusiasm of the church to learn these stories and see how these stories actually apply to so many areas of our lives. And last week we said that the next chapter in our story is pretty much laid out in Daniel chapter 1 verses 8 through 21. And so as I'm writing this sermon, I realize I'm not going to get past verse 8. Okay, so we're going to focus all of our attention this morning on on verse 8. All right, so I'm going to grab my Bible here. And I'm going to go to Daniel. If you have your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 1. All right. And I'm going to read verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. All right. So in verse 8, it says Daniel would not defile himself. It says that he resolved. This isn't so important. This is where the, this is the crux of all of it. Daniel resolved in the King's James, in the King James version. It says Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. So you have this resolve. You have this purposing in your heart. It says to, to not to eat the food the king at the king's table. So Daniel purposed in his heart. Everything flows from this verse. 
Everything going forward now flows from this verse. Our lives are filled. Daniel had to make a choice. Our lives are filled with individual choices, right? Our lives are, are absolutely filled with individual choices. Decisions you have made in the past have shaped you in many ways, have shaped you into the people you are today. So many of us can look back on the past and, and realize that that one decision that we made has had a profound impact on our lives, either in a positive way because you chose not to whatever or you chose to participate in whatever. That one decision has had a profound impact on our lives. Daniel is facing some intense life choices, life-altering choices, and his choices will radically change his life. How he responds, okay, you got Nebuchadnezzar in one corner, you have Daniel and his friends in the other corner. How Daniel responds here is going to affect his entire life. When we, read, when we first read verse 8, we're thinking to ourselves, I, this, you know, no big deal. What's the... You know, you you're, you're kind of read through it. You kind of you've read most of you read Daniel before and you kind of you think this is not this is not so important. But it turns out to have incredible significance, incredible significance. Last week, we said that Daniel, Daniel and his friends were being assimilated, OK, into Babylonian culture. They were they were being sucked in and assimilated, assimilated into Babylonian culture. They've been ripped away from everything that they know. They've been ripped away from their home. They've been ripped away from their friends and from their families. And now they have to serve this king, Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm pulled away from everything that I know. And now I have to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be trained to better serve him. That's basically what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. They have grown up, all right? Think about this. They have grown up in godly families, loving the Lord their God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. They've, they've given everything to the Lord. Now they find themselves being trained to work for this godless king. What a transformation. So for three years, Nebuchadnezzar puts his right-hand man, Ashpenaz, right? And I, I said last week we were joking about Ashpenaz. If you're, if you're pregnant right now, maybe you want to think about the name Ashpenaz. You don't. Okay, you don't. I looked up what Ashpenaz is. I'm not going to say what it means right now because I don't want you to have to explain it to your kids. What, what, is, what did Pastor Jeff talk about? And you have to explain it. So just don't name your kid Ashpenaz, all right? It's not what you want to do. So Nebuchadnezzar for three years puts his right-hand man Ashpenaz in charge of Daniel and his three friends. And for three years, he's going to indoctrinate them into... Uh, Babylonian education. He's going to give them every all the best that Babylon has to offer. Their Jewish names, right? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have now been changed to Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So their names are completely changed. They had Jewish names, now they have Babylonian names. So their names have been changed. The goal in this changing is very significant. The goal in this changing is to erode their faith and their traditions. 
and then to try to replace those that faith that they had in the Lord, their God and the traditions that they had and the things they held so dear with Babylonian gods, if you will. And Babylonian culture, literature, language, history, religion, they were going to be replaced. They wanted to take away their old way of life, their old identity, if you will. That was their goal to to kind of erode all of what they did know and replace it with new knowledge. And then when their training was complete, they would receive a a high position in Nebuchadnezzar's government. So they were that was kind of the lure, if you will. If you go through this training and you do well and you become the people we want you to be, then we're going to put you in a better position. Remember last week I talked about the idea of the Borg, right? In, in, in Star Trek, the next generation, there's this evil uh, enemy called the Borg. And the Borg go around the universe and they assimilate new worlds into their, they call it their collective, right? And their, their tagline is, anybody know it? Resistance. Thank you. Resistance. <laughs> we have some Star Trek, Star Trek fans here. Resistance is futile. And they say it like that too. Resistance is futile. Right? So the Babylonians were like the Borg. You know, they, 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 come, they grab you. They, they take the, the best of you. They try to grab the best of the boys of that culture. They bring them in. They basically say resistance is futile. Except if you're Daniel. Okay? Except Daniel. Daniel, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you something about uh, teenagers. Teenagers are often the most easily manipulated. Okay, they're, they're the most easily manipulated, easily swayed, easily molded, molded like clay people you're ever going to find. Most of, well, I say some of the time they can also be. The most hard-headed, okay, most difficult people to move in the entire universe if, if they have convictions, okay? If you get a teenager and that teenager has convictions, you cannot do this to a teenager. This is a teenager... Once they have convictions, they're nearly impossible. It is impossible, if you will, to try to change their mind, to try to change anything. Because when a teenager has convictions, you know, some of the greatest revivals, uh, you, you can finally hardly find one. OK, a revival in this country or even around the world that wasn't started by someone in high school or in college. Because once you get a teenager, they become, if you will, immovable objects. Daniel decides at 15 or 16 years old, he's not going to go along with the king's program. Okay? I'm not going to go along with the king's program. Verse 8 says that Daniel resolved, okay, resolved. Again, the King James, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food or or their drink. So he was not going to defile himself with royal food or wine. Remember, um, we said that, that one choice, okay, we just talked about one choice can basically change your entire life. Well, for Daniel, this, this, was his, this was that one choice. 
That, this was that one choice. You look back and you say, that, man, this choice, if I make these choices or whatever else, we talk about how they influence your life. Well, for Daniel, this was that one choice. This whole concept here of what he was going to eat. Now, we really need to understand um, what's going on. If, if we, we, we need to dig, if we're going to truly understand what's going on, we need to dig a little deeper. Because some of you are probably thinking right now, okay, if you've been here leaving the last couple of weeks, you're thinking, wait a second, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why, why, why is this, why is, he, why is he doing this now? What's the big deal about food? You think to yourself, well, Daniel, Daniel accepted his captivity. What's he going to do, right? A new, an army comes in. They basically break down the defenses. They, you know, they take over and they take the things from the temple. And they're, I mean, they're just looting everything. And they are in charge. So, but, he, but, you know, he, he basically put up with his captivity, right? And then he accepted a new name. Shadrach, you know, Meshach and Abednego used to be Hananiah, right? Mishael. And Azariah, Daniel, they gave the name Belshazzar. It doesn't say in the Bible that Daniel rose up and refused to take the name Belshazzar. So he didn't he didn't really respond and aggressively or, you know, deny or, uh, you know, when it came to his name. And he basically accepted the he didn't respond negatively to the education. You know, he just they're going to educate him. So he didn't refuse. He didn't refuse. Let's put it this way. He did not refuse the name change. He did not refuse the education and he couldn't do much about the captivity. So it's like, why take a stand now? All right. So let's 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 kind of walk through this. Let's walk through this first. The educational indoctrination. You're going to Ohio State or you're going to Miami University or going to Florida. It doesn't matter. You're going and you get a nutty professor who decides that he's going to try to indoctrinate you and change your view. He finds out you're a Christian and he's going to spend his time trying to change your worldview. OK, honestly, you can disregard the things that, that professor says that come in conflict or, or that go into conflict with your your faith, with your worldview. He can talk all he wants to. I had a professor when I went to a, um, a university. It was, a, it was a community college. I needed to take one course over the summer. So I figured I'd take it there because Nyack wasn't offering that particular course. It was cheaper there. you know. So I went there. This guy was so incredible. He used an offering plate as an ashtray. Okay. Um, he, 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 just, he couldn't stand women. He couldn't stand Christians at all. He was he 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 constantly was ridiculing Christ and Christ committed suicide and all this kind of he was constantly doing that. I sat in the classroom and I argued with him a little bit. And I won't go into the whole story, but at the very yeah, I sit in the front row with Jesus loves you buttons. Just just stand right. In the front. <laughs> I didn't really know. Apology. I was like a Christian for maybe nine months or whatever. So all I could really do was ask a lot of questions just to annoy him. Is that a fact? Is that a fact? Is that a fact? And he sat down one time and he spent he spent half the class explaining to me the difference between your truth is your truth because you believe it. And my truth is my truth because I believe it. And I said, yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. You're just going to you're just going to test me on your truth. That's all I'm asking. Is that a fact? Am I going to be tested on what you're saying on your truth? So I, I ignored basically the person had no his, his education had no impact on my faith whatsoever. So you can get some professor who tries to influence you and you can disregard what they say. Right. Not a problem. OK, well, 
How about name changes? That's a, that's a big one, right? I had a dean at Nyack right when I was in college, and he knew every single name of every single student in that university. Okay, everyone, except for mine. Call me Greg. So I, I corrected him twice. My name's not Greg, it's Jeff. All right? After a while, I'm sorry, he kept on calling me Greg. I started answering to Greg, right? He'd be, he'd be walking in the hallway, Greg, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, Greg, hey. <laughs> he knew everyone's name except for mine. Call me Greg. I just started answering to Greg. For four years, I was Greg to this dean. I, you know what I'm saying? He still, if he saw me in the street, he'd go, hey, Greg, right? I'd say, yeah, how are you doing? Dean, whoever, I forgot your name. <laughs> right? Uh, let's be honest. It didn't define me. It did not change my identity. I didn't walk around the hallway going, who am I? Am I Greg? Am I Jeff? And what are the implications if I, he thinks I'm Greg? You know what I mean? Daniel, Belshazzar, he, you know, he was okay. Daniel wasn't walking around thinking, I can't define myself. I don't know who I am. I don't have my identity. But here's the thing. When it came to the food, all bets were off. And there's a big reason for that. Okay, a big reason. If they were going to eat their food, all right, Daniel, Daniel could not ignore the reality of the, of the ramifications, the implications of what it meant if he would eat their food. Okay, this was different. This was different. Name changes, doesn't, you know, whatever, education, blah, 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 blah. This was him. He could not ignore what drinking their wine and eating their food represented. Daniel knew Jewish law. Best way to put this is, you know, if you've been coming to church for years and years and you study the word of God, you know the word. You know what the Bible says. Daniel knew the law of God and eating food, okay, would go against God's law. Eating their food would specifically go against God's law. This is, though, we need a little bit more background. So we'll kind of give you a little bit more background on why. Daniel objected to food being served at the king's table, okay, for... I'm going to give you some overall possible reasons because it talks about being he wouldn't defile himself with their food. Twice it says that in one verse. He was not going to defile himself. So what are some possible ways that Daniel could defile himself eating their food? First, first, it wasn't prepared according to Jewish dietary okay, law. So it, the way we would the, the word we would use today is kosher. It wasn't kosher. All right. In Mosaic law, it forbid um, Jewish people to eat um, certain the flesh of certain animals. Certain animals were unclean. The flesh of certain animals would be unclean. So he wasn't going to do it. In Leviticus chapter 11, verses 4 through 20, it lays out all kinds of laws of what kind of food you can eat and what kind of animals would be unclean. So the law of Moses forbids Jewish people to, to eat the flesh of unclean animals. Like I said, Leviticus chapter 11, verses 4, I mean, yeah, 11, 4 through 20. So you can write those down. You can kind of go back and look those up. The king's food, honestly, would undoubtedly contain some animal flesh that would have been unclean for Daniel to eat. All right. So Daniel understood the law. Daniel was not going to break the law of God. Some Old Testament scholars, okay, 
also suggests that the Babylonians were very fond of mixing their wine with blood, with animal blood. And, and uh, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 4 and Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 17, you can go back and look those up. It was forbidden for the Jews to consume any food or drink wine or drink blood in any form. All right. And the Babylonians, they would mix blood and wine. And so Daniel's like, I know the law. I'm not going to drink that either. There's also two other possible reasons here. Okay, in the book of Proverbs, it strongly, strongly is opposed to drink, drinking intoxicating wines. Okay, heavily intoxicating wines. All wines are not the same. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 31 through 35, you write that down. It goes through the list of why you should not drink those wines. Okay, and why not to drink wine? Like if you have a glass of wine, we're not, we're not going to get into all that kind of stuff this morning. If you have a glass of wine at dinner, you know, you're good. But this is different here. The Bible talks about intoxicating, getting drunk on these wines. So Daniel wasn't going to do that. The other thing, Daniel, Daniel knew that most of these foods, okay, would have food and wine. The wine would have been sacrificed, if you will, would have been presented before an idol. So then you're dealing with that whole thing. So Daniel was choosing, if he would have chosen to eat, of their food and drink of their wine, then he would be accepting paganism. And he knew that he wasn't going to go along in this area. He wasn't going to go along with the program. Now you say, I, well, I don't understand well, why we, I, I drink wine sometimes and I, ha, I do this sometimes and I eat meat and, and I, I do it. Yeah. But you see, here's the thing. We're under, we're under grace. Okay. When Jesus Christ came to the earth. Okay. We're under, we're under the grace of God. The blood of Christ covers us. Paul says if there's a meat that is, is offered to, a, to, a, to an idol for a sacrifice, you can eat it. Okay. Now, if it's a brother in Christ stum- is stumbling, don't eat it because it causes him to stumble. Right? But God made the animal. You cook the animal. You can eat the animal. You're under grace. You're not under law. Here's the problem for Daniel. Daniel was under law. Daniel understood the law. Daniel was not going to break the law. Daniel, from his parents, where he was given okay, this birthright, he understood what the law of Moses said, the Mosaic law said. He was not going to break the Mosaic law. You have to understand. If Daniel had eaten the food, he would be morally compromising everything that he believed. He would be morally compromising everything that he believed. And Daniel was not this. Daniel was this. He was not going to be molded. Change my name. I don't care. Teach me stuff you want to teach me. I don't care. But now I can't get around this. You're going to ask me to do something that goes against the law of my God. I will not do it. They could change his culture. They couldn't change his character. They could change his home, but they couldn't change his heart. They could change his name, but they couldn't change his nature. They, they, from an external standpoint, they won every extra, just about every external battle that they, that they, that they were fighting, they won. But they didn't win the internal battle. And that's the one that really matters. Daniel was a stone. 
You can externally, I'll go along, I'll go along to get along, if you will, externally, not breaking law, not, not getting around anything. I'll go along, like I said, with the name changes and the cultural changes and all this kind of stuff. But when the word of God lays something out, when the word of God specifically says something, I am not going to break the law of God. So they won the external battles with name changes and blah, blah, blah. But they did not win the internal battle. There's, you know, you can you can extrinsically motivate people. But what you really want to do is intrinsically motivate people. And they were not going to be able to get inside of Daniel's heart and change Daniel's heart. It just wasn't going to happen. Listen, you can paint stripes on a horse. It doesn't make it a zebra, right? You can see, you know, oh, oh, look at that horse. I can make it, I'm, turn that, I'm going to turn that horse into a zebra. I'm going to turn that, the Jewish boy into a Babylonian boy. You can paint stripes on the outside of Daniel. It doesn't make him Babylonian. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Daniel was going to hold his ground. Daniel was, 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 was taking his life into his hands by doing this. But Daniel also realized he had no other choice. You know, you don't you don't tell the king that you do not want to eat his food. Okay, you can lose your life. You can certainly basically you can lose your life, but you can also lose your advancement. He's in it. He's in a in a, a period of time of three years where if he continues to do well, then he will advance. Okay, and be put in a high position in government. You can lose your advancement. There's an old saying. It says, if you want to climb the ladder, don't rock the boat. So you want to climb the ladder, no matter what your circumstances, you want to get yourself in the highest position to help your people as much as you can. But Daniel and Daniel wanted to climb the ladder. He wanted to be successful, but he wasn't going to avoid rocking the boat when the boat, when it mattered. Okay, when it came down to the law of God, Daniel was not going to compromise. Now, I'm sure there were a whole lot of other people in Daniel's situation who basically went along with the plan. They just went along with everything. They went with the name changes and they went on with the cultural change. They went along with, uh, uh, you know, you, you name it. And they went along with eating the food. Hey, the food's good. I'll eat it. But that's why we're reading about Daniel, not about them. See, Daniel's not a dime a dozen. Daniel's not going to go along. Daniel's going to hold his ground. So the Bible says that Daniel resolved, resolved. Daniel purposed in his heart. That's why verse eight, that's why I stopped on verse eight, because we you have to be resolved. You have to purpose in your heart. You need to know the word of God so that you can you know what you're you're resolved. I'm resolved not to break the word of God. You need to know the word of God. I have purposed in my heart that I'm going to follow God every step of the way. But you have to know the word of God. Daniel made up in his mind what he was going to. He made up his own mind, regardless of what everybody else in the whole world was saying. He made up his mind and his three, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, followed him. They followed him. It's amazing how when you're at work or you're at school or you're at your university, wherever the case may be, and someone, the teacher saying something or your friend saying something or it doesn't matter. Someone's saying something. And then one person stands up and says, I'm sorry, I can't I can't go along with this. I disagree. And here's why I disagree. And when you do that, it sometimes only takes one person to stand up for truth. And the ripple effect is, is it just goes on and on. I remember the story that happened. This happened last year, like later last year. 
And one, one of the kids in our church was in a class and they were talking about, what's your, who's your hero? Who's your hero? And everybody's saying, you know, Captain America and, you know, Iron Man and this person and Superman. And, all. and one kid said, Jesus. And it went silent for a few seconds. And the next kid said, Jesus is my hero too. And the other kid said, I want to change my answer. Jesus is my hero too. These are Christians. They weren't doing anything wrong. They're a little kid. They're asking you what you're here. I love, I love Captain America. He's, all, he's cool. I love my favorite Marvel characters, Captain America. But they asked the kid and he said Jesus. And all the other kids were like, wait a second. He's my hero too. I like Jesus more than Captain America. See, it only takes one person to stand up to make an incredible difference. That ripple has this contagious effect. So the question would be, why, why did Daniel and his friends... Stand for God because they belonged to God. They belong to God. Here's the thing. When you have been set apart from God, what for God, when you have been set apart for God, when I have been set apart for God, my location, okay, my location where I am does not now change my dedication to my Lord and my God. It doesn't matter where I live. My environment doesn't change my convictions. Other people's threats upon me don't change my convictions. The pressure that I'm under at school or at work or on the team, whatever, does not change my convictions. The cost, what it may cost me, I think it through and it may cost me this. It may cost me my job. It may cost me, it may cost me my life. That doesn't change my convictions. Nothing can change a person's convictions. You could not change Daniel's convictions. Most people live by their preferences, not by their convictions. And there is a gigantic difference. A huge difference. David C. Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association, wrote this. He said, there's a difference between a conviction and a preference, according to the U.S. Supreme Court. A preference is a very strong belief held with great strength. You can give your entire life in a full-time way to serve to the service of your preferences and can also give your entire material wealth in the name of that belief. You can also energetically energetically proselytize energetically proselytize others to your preference. You can also want to teach this belief to your children and the Supreme Court may still rule that is a preference. A preference is a strong belief, but a belief that you will change under the right circumstances. Circumstances such as, number one, peer pressure. If your beliefs are such that other people stand with you before you will stand, your beliefs are preferences, not convictions. Number two, family pressure, lawsuits, jail, threat of death. Would you die for your beliefs? He says a conviction is a belief that you will not change. Why? Because a man believes that his God requires it of him. Preferences aren't protected by the Constitution. Convictions are. A conviction is not something that you discover. It is something that you purpose in your heart. Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3. Convictions on the inside will always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. To violate a conviction would be a sin. So we have to ask ourselves, is, is my faith, is your faith, is it based on preferences or convictions? Is it a conviction or is it a preference? When you go to college and you're under pressure 
Do you, con- do you conform? Do you start to conform? Are you pliable? Think about that. Are you pliable? Are you easily? Pliable means easily influenced. When you go to college, which are you? Are you easily pliable or are you a stone? If you're in high school or, or, or junior high or in college right now, you got to ask yourself, am I easily manipulated? Can my mind be easily changed by what's happening around me? Or am I a stone? Am I immovable? When you're at work, when you're at work and you're, 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 under, you're under that pressure to comply, do you comply or do you stand on your convictions? When you're in high school and the pressure is all around you, all around you, do you go along? Do you go along or do you resolve, do you resolve not to go along? Which are you? Which are you, clay or are you a stone at work? Are you clay or are you a stone in school? Are you clay or are you a stone when you're at university? Which are you? On your team, clay or stone? Daniel was a stone. Daniel was a stone. Daniel had convictions. Daniel would not eat their food and not drink their wine, not because he didn't like the taste, because it broke God's law. And Daniel was going to stand for God regardless of the circumstances. It didn't matter what it would cost him. So before we leave this morning, we need to do some soul searching with the Lord. I want you to bow your heads with me, but I want you to keep listening. What decisions, think about this, what decisions or choices have you made in the past that you need to change or ask God to forgive? Let's not leave here this morning with this stuff hanging. What decisions or choices have you made in the past that you need to change or ask God to forgive? And here's an important question. Do you know the word? Do you know the Bible so that you understand what God expects convictions, convictions, being a stone is based, being a stone is understanding God's word. You need to understand God's word. Do you understand God's word? And what do you, if you don't, what do you need to do in order to get to the place where you have strong convictions based upon the word of God? What do you need to resolve? Think about this in your mind. Think about what do you need to resolve or purpose in your heart not to do. You have been doing it, but now you, you, and you know it's wrong. So what do you need to resolve? What do you need to purpose in your heart not to do? You got to leave it here this morning. Where do you need to hold your ground? Where do you, where do you need to hold your ground? Is it in junior high, in your elementary school, in high school? Where do you, where in school? Is it in school? Where do you need to hold your ground? Is it at work? Is it on the team? Is it in social settings? You get in a social setting and you, you, you cannot hold your ground. If they're drinking too much, you're drinking too much. If they're doing this and then you're doing this. Where do you need to hold your ground? Where do you need to be the stone? Because you know the word. Take a few moments and just talk to the Lord. Just take, this, take some moments. We, we need to leave here today with convictions, not preferences. Preferences are like clay. They can be reshaped depending on your circumstances. Convictions are like stones. They cannot be reshaped by human hands nor human will. 
Where in your life do you need to talk to the Lord and get all this right? We can't leave here this morning. We need to get this right. Where do you need to be forgiven? Where do you need to hold your ground? Just take a moment and just spend some time with the Lord. Father, we will no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. Father, sometimes we're held back from reaching our goals, from getting to where we need to be spiritually, because we, we live with preferences. And we change depending on the circumstances, the pressure that we're under. And my God, my Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we would solidify our lives with your convic- with convictions. That we would no longer be swayed and tossed here and there by every wind and thought that comes around us. That when our friends ask us to do something or people at work ask us to do something or the coach asks us to do something that we know violates that conviction, that we would with courage, like Daniel, stand up and say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. I cannot, I cannot comply with what you're asking me to do. Father, we love you, we praise you this morning. And we ask, dear God, that we would leave this place this morning truly different than when we came in. That your Holy Spirit would give us convictions in our hearts that we would live out every single day of our lives. And Lord, when we fall short, when we fall short, in our inability to hold on to those convictions, we ask that at that moment we would ask for your forgiveness and that we would take that next step and try harder and try the best that we can to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we're under grace and not under law. Thank you, Lord God, that we love you so much. The reason that we desire to be honoring to you is because of the way we feel about you and what you've done through us through your son Jesus Christ and I pray dear God that every single one of us would leave here with conviction in our hearts to be more like your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray Amen. Have a great week.